it's strange. Uh, in life, there's uh, many uh, unique opportunities that we, we don't really realize are there. Um, in, in truth, even the angels themselves visit you as human beings and, and you don't know it. You know, it, that's actually real. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll appear to be a human, but they're there to give you a blessing. And there's um, many people who have uh, uh, pure hearts. Yeah, I mean, everyone is a, has uh, experienced uh, someone in their life, a friend or a grandmother or, you know, uh, someone who cares about you, who you say, gee, that person's a blessing. You know, they're, they're a blessing in my life. Just like <coughs> we all can say, there's some people who are a headache in our life. <laughs> you know, that's easy to remember. But... Uh, Every now and then you lean back and go, wow, that person is a blessing in my life. Or a school teacher. I've had a few school teachers where I can just, even though it was 40 plus years ago, I can say, wow, that person was a blessing in my life. They actually changed my life. So um, there's a lot of people who live very, very quietly and sort of go about their business, but they're a, a blessing in your life. So um, I'm trying to uh, bring um, those type of people to to your attention uh, because you're 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 unaware of them, and you, you, no one has t taught you or trained you how to spot these people. You know, uh, in my life, I've had the privilege of knowing many saints of which the average person would just walk right by. <laughs> they, they, they wouldn't see them. They wouldn't go, gee, that person's different. What's going on there? <laughs> you know? But I, I, I want you to be uh, curious. I, I want you to, when you see someone being kind or pleasantly different, you know, to, to stop and en engage them in a conversation. You'll be you'll be shocked at what you discover, you know. But the, the problem is in in our current life, we're rushing, and we're hurrying, and we've got a, a long to do list, and we're preoccupied, and it's just like you know heaven sends the angels to bless you, and you rushed right by. When you rushed right by, who lost? You are the angel. <laughs> you! See? So part of this yoga thing is, 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 is to get you to slow down, to pay attention, and uh, ask important and meaningful questions. You know, stop thinking about your cellulite or the pimple on your cheek. Please. <laughs> you know, none of that's going to affect your life and the you know ask ask stop and and say wake up saying i want meaning in my life that's what i want you to do wake up saying i want meaning in my life and either you should be doing one of two things or both either you should be generating meaning or you should be seeking meaning out <laughs> see that 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 way 
you know, life goes by so quickly. Today you're 25, tomorrow you're 65, and you go, what happened? Where did it go? So we, we want you to slow down. Can you party? Can you run around? Can you chase boys? Can you chase girls? No problem. Enjoy your life. Part of your life should be a festival. But behind all of that, you know, techno life and party life and young people's life, behind that, there should be a, a, choir, a, a quiet, a smoldering ember. And that smoldering ember should be a, a search for meaning, you know. What's like really important in life? <clears throat> you know, what's going to engender true happiness and, and true joy on a long-term basis? There's a lot of popcorn happiness and popcorn joy. I mean, it's here today, gone the next moment. It's, it's like an, you know, an ice cream cone. It's delicious in the moment and then gone. <laughs> and did it have any meaning at all? No. Was it delicious in the moment? Yes. But does it have any meaning? No. But what we want you to do is, is to, to lead a more probing life. Um, to, to slow down, to think deeply, and to ask meaningful questions. The, the, what, what you don't understand is, is heaven gives you many, many blessings that you rush right past. You know, and, and for someone like me, who's sort of quietly watching, it's on the heartbreaking side. You know, you're, you're, you're quietly missing the opportunities of your, of your life um, because you're too preoccupied with the frivolous and you're running too fast. You know, it's like if you go to a forest, slow down. You know why? Because you'll, you'll miss the beauty. You don't want to go by a forest at 60 miles an hour. You want to stroll. You know, and, and, and if you stroll and you're aware, there'll be all kinds of discoveries. You know, so in this yoga life, we, we, we want you to have a, a thoughtful life. And it's, you know, we live in a time where there's all kinds of crazy disasters going on, you know, physical, emotional, psychological, political, you know, economic. There's all kinds of disasters going on. But of which man is the author of. <laughs> that, that Heaven didn't do that. That's man's, man's mischief. But it doesn't mean that the heaven's <coughs> blessings are not present. Heaven's blessings are always manifesting in multiple ways. And in, in the yoga sciences, we want you to, to slow down so that you realize, wow, the, the, the nature of blessing is here now. And it's not just this melee of chaos in the world, you know, psychological and all the wars and craziness that are, that's going on. So there's all there's there's people who have who have dedicated themselves um, 
to a, a deep spirituality. Um, you, you sort of have religious, religiousosity, and then you have spirituality. Religiousosity is usually founded by some great soul, but then you have this encrustment of the theologians <laughs> giving their opinions, and then their opinions sort of become gospel. Um, and then you, then you have deep spirituality, which is sort of a native, intuitive, direct perception of the blessings in the world. The blessings are there in the religiousness also. It's there. But it's just encrusted with a ton of opinions, often conflicting opinions. You know, think of how many sects of Christianity are there. Hundreds, 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 maybe thousands. Why? It was one founder. But, you know, a gazillion different opinions on what any one scriptural quote meant. See? So, we, we want you to strip away and be essential to be fundamental, to be profoundly thoughtful. So, that's why we... we Pick this topic of the sadhu today. You know, we you know we're we're blessed to have a, a soul like uh, sadhu Nick Warren here. He's just like you. See, he has light skin. He dresses like you. You know, educated like you people, and hidden. You know, you think oh, just a, a nice senior gentleman. But he's actually a Western sadhu. He's actually the real deal. You know, uh, sadhu means a person who has a deep conscious spirituality, who's devoted to deep spirituality with tremendous persistence, years of persistence. He's not like a pop-up restaurant where, you know, you're here today, gone tomorrow. These are people who have that, that smoldering spirituality uh, where they're, they're, they're looking deeply, they're moving slowly, and they're thinking. They're, they, they have that question, what is truth? What is God? What is real? And they're, they're, they're spending a hidden part of their life working that out. On the, on the outside of his life, he's a, a physicist. That's a highly accomplished scientist. But what's running his life, motivating his life, guiding his life, is his sadhu heart. You know, that, that heart of, of deep spiritual inquiry, see? That, that deep uh, seeking of truth. So we can all have our, our, our common external lives, but quietly we should be trying to cultivate this life of profound meaning. You know, truth is the only stable thing in existence. If, if it's not true, it's inherently unstable. So, so these yogis are saying, 
what is the ground that I stand on? What is the fundamental ground that I stand on physically, psychologically, emotionally? When you ask those type of questions, it comes to a, a deep spirituality. So, you know, the, 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 the sadhus are sort of a rare species, but they're around. They're, all, they're, 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 they're here. It's, it's just that they're not banging on any drums. You know, they're, they're not saying, oh, look at me, I'm so special. They're, they're, they're living these quiet lives of, of deep inquiry. And, and it's sort of our obligation to say, hmm, what is that woman about? What is that guy about? And then engage them. You know, the, 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 you have to realize your life is short. You've got maximum 100 years and you're out of here. So you want to... You want to find people of meaning and then ask really important questions. Maybe they know the answers, maybe they don't. But for us, all of us aspirants, it's our job to ask the questions, you know, to, to have this uh, relentless probing, see? If, if you don't ask, there's no answer coming. You have to ask. You know, you... you just like you, you applied to university and then you got an education, but you had to apply. You know, the university didn't drop into your house. You had to apply. So the, the same thing with the sadhus. You know, they, they have a remarkably generous heart, but you have to apply. You know, then they're not going to disturb your life. They, if you're playing and doing this and doing that, they'll let you happily do whatever you're doing. It's, it's only when you, when you apply yourself and, and, and start to ask questions will they stop and say, let's have tea. See? So I, I want you to, to learn some of these skills. I'm, I'm older than most of the people in the room. A few of us are <laughs> a little bit long in the tooth, but most of you are younger people. But I, I want you to, to learn this skill um, because it will change your life. You know... You know, how did I meet so many different saints in my life? It's because I was paying attention. And I'm saying, I don't know what it is about that person, but I'm going to go talk to them. Or, or I'll see someone do something in, incredibly kind or generous or thoughtful. i say, who is that person? And then I'll go over and engage them and say, you know, I really appreciate what you did. Now, can you, can you explain to me why and your motivation? And if I find that interesting, you know, I, I try to figure out a way where I can be like that. You know, actually, that's actually originally how I got into this kind of life, is that I saw uh, you know, extraordinary acts of, of generosity, and it, I found it baffling. I found it wonderful, and I found it baffling. And as a boy, I determined I'm going to be just like that, because it was impressive. It was really, really impressive that someone was, you know, had a true altruism where they weren't seeking anything for themselves. It was just joy for joy, kindness for kindness, generosity for generosity, with with no bill attached. And I was thinking, and actually, it was a woman. Uh, and, and I said, you know, it. it, it most people are, are are sort of bartering. 
you know, doing business with the world and doing business with their friends. You do this and I'll do that. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. You know, all this rubbish. But this woman was just a, one of these rare born hearts uh, that had a, a sense of extraordinary generosity. Uh, so that happened when I was a boy. But here I am at, at 60 plus years still talking about her. That's, that's the kind of effect. I, I think I was maybe maybe nine years old. At, at 60 some odd years old, I'm still remembering her. That, that's the kind of effect she had on me, you know? So, so that, is that not a blessing? I mean, she, she literally changed the entire course of my life. Entire course of my life. That, that value of, of kindness and generosity was stamped on me by that woman. And she was not an old woman. She was 23, 24 years old, you know? So the thing is, uh, I, it's not that these blessings are not here. It's that no one told you to slow down and look for them. And then no one said, hey, if you see something really interesting, something unusually kind, engage. Don't, don't just let it go by. Engage it. So today we have Nick Warren here, and um, again he—he's one of these quiet sadhus, quietly living his life, but living what I would call a significant life. You know, a, a deeply a significant life before the universe. You know, before man, man is so fickle. Who knows what man thinks? But before the universe, it's a significant life. <laughs> so what we're going to do is that we're going to chant Om three times and that sort of will just sort of harmonically, harmonically bring us all together in one place, one time and then uh, Nick will um, be discussing whatever he, whatever he chooses and uh, my encouragement again because I want you to have immediate practice Ask the guy questions. Engage him. Don't just go, oh, you're so sweet, and sit there. No. No, I don't want you to do that. I, I, you know, get on the horse and ride, man. You, you ask. Press them. You know, squeeze them. You know, there, there's a... Yeah, just, I, I just want you to take these opportunities because they come and they go. See? Okay, so we'll just chant Om three times. Take a deep breath in. Om.
I'm very, I'm very, you Charles talks about blessings going up and down the street, I'm blessed by you guys. And um, I don't know what will unfold. It was all clear in my mind a while ago now. It's just clouds. Maybe tonight could be having be downloaded. Um, I thought that uh, I think and I leave it open to discussion what our time frame you talked uh, or you talked about I would speak for half an hour and then you talk any more. And as I want to just be open. I want to just be open to whatever flows. Can you hear me okay? This is this is better. I can hear me. It's better. Okay, good. So let me know if I drop it. <laughs> um, this is also the week of Guru Purnima. And Guru Purnima is this recognition of the role of the Guru and respect for the Guru. And uh, Ari is certainly one of those. Um, and so one can look at him also in the sense of what is the process that he's evoking here? What is the thing to do? And just before this talk, just the other day, um, kind of the, the folding into the universe happened. Uh, I was going to look up some things on my cell phone and went to YouTube and automatically went to Sri M, who some of you know um, is uh, someone who's uh, doing massive work in India and now around the world. And he's the one who walked 7,000 miles across uh, India recently, uh, trying to make a point of the, the union of all things. We are all, we live and we work in different capacities, we have different religions, but somebody like Sri M is trying to say there's a spirituality behind it. Use uh, Ari's words just now. The spirituality doesn't look at the differences between the Christian sects. It looks at what is Christ. And um, so, in any case, I ended up with YouTube going directly to his opening of the um, uh, the ceremony ceremonial fire duty which goes with most Vedic type celebrations. And so he was lighting the fire for Guru Panima. And so he made some comments about both Guru and truth. And when Howard and I were talking about today, I said, I guess what I have to say boils down to just one word, that's truth. And uh, there's, no bottom, there's no bottom to that. <laughs> Um, so, what Sri M said is that, first addressing the Guru, that it comes from two roots. Ru is Rudra, a destroyer. 
who has the root of of ignorance. So a guru is a destroyer of ignorance. And if you follow such a, or listen carefully to such a person, then you are um, in the process of destroying your own ignorance. And if you can destroy your own ignorance, or if you destroy ignorance in general, what is left is truth. So it's the seeking of truth that we go to school, elementary school, middle school, girlfriends, boyfriends, marriage, retirement, getting lost in the woods. All of that can be guru. And so the guru moves from is what has caught your attention. And if you follow that attention, then you become deeper. Um, I wasn't going to say too much about my own life, but maybe I ought to say some things in context. The trouble with talking about anyone's own life is that, obviously, I have my own life, I have my own life, I have my own life, each person. And so, um, if I hear something, I say, wow, I can never do that, or be that, or I don't want to be that, or um, what, you know, it has, has no bearing. I have to find my own self. And uh, so that's the process of meaning. You have to find yourself. So in the way of destroying ignorance, this is like the story that I think maybe even you've told once already. Um, <coughs> about the sculptor who, like Michelangelo, brings a, a David out of a piece of granite, of, of a marble. Um, the version I've heard is the Indian one where somebody, a sculptor, has made a statue so perfectly that you can't tell it apart from the person, from the real person. Um, there's a longer story in that version, but the point I want to make now is that the way the ideal person, the ideal image, the ideal comes out of a stone, out of the marble, is you chip away the stuff that you don't need. And so like for Michelangelo, he would have the block of stone in front of him for years and years, well, it wouldn't be that long, but he would just look at it every day. And finally in the stone you see the beginning of an arm. You see the sense of action. You see where the grain and the coloring and so forth leads to to sing into it. And then you chip away what you don't need. And when you're left, after you've chipped away all the pieces, all that's left is the truth of what it is or the ideal of the sculpture, or the quality of what the meaning is that you generated, which you freed, which you put out of the stone. 
other people then come along and pick up the pieces and try to make a statue out of that. And you can't make the ideal because there's all the dregs that are left. It's the stuff you have to get rid of. You pick it up and glue it back together again, you just get a negative of the sculpture of the ideal that you are exposing. So, there's two ways you go about trying to understand something or see something. One is the positive and one is the negative. The negative is nitty-nitty, not this, not this, chop, not this, not this, chop, not this, not this, chop. And so, the Buddhists will use the term the not-self, because myself is me starting out every day. I touch, I feel, I have a desire, I have a reaction. Um, and I say it's relative to me. And I end up with eye consciousness and hand consciousness. And I hand, and the consciousness is of, of knowing the external and of putting together a sense of life in this, in this world. But it's not real. Because... The beautiful thing to find oneself. You have to chop away, you have to, rec you have to recognize from your need an intuitive sense of self. You have to realize what, what, what that self is and chip away the self that you are at that point. The word self is very tricky because it's going to move all the way from uh, my ego, myself, my agency, my ability to work in the world. I need to be a self in order to differentiate me from you. Um, to the self, usually with a capital S, which is what you're trying to find, what this self is. So, what are we seeking? We're seeking meaning. We're seeking the question of who we are ourselves. I hate my world. I hate the things that are happening in it. I can't take this anymore. I gotta find some meaning. I'm gonna go to Africa next week. I'm gonna go find a gold mine. I'll be rich. I'll make me better. So you have this this play in which you say, well, I will go and find the gold. Gold is not this, not this. So you go from not this, not this, and then chipping things away to the positive. I see in a stone the quality of my ideal. If I can free that ideal, if I can see that ideal, I'm going to make it so others can see that ideal. That ideal becomes alive. It's positive. It's saying I, I identify with, I feel, I, I love the quality of what is 
life coming through the stone. I need to embrace it. This is a path of devotion. This is a positive path. I identify, I seek to be that which I seek. As Gandhi says, be the change that you want to be. You apply that to yourself. So, truth then begins to frame itself in the context of of knowing. Because if I say, I know that, I know it, I know it, I know it, I know These are all the all the questions, all the ways I can begin to seek the meaning. Uh, the story I usually would tell in some classes when I taught art and science um, is that my dad was an electrical engineer. And there's a long story about him, and I have an uncle had an uncle who's a Jesuit priest and there's long stories about him. But when I was five years old I would ask either of them, what are the stars? What are these bright things in the sky? The engineer's answer was very different than the priest's answer. And whatever it was, it didn't make sense to me. And when I, however I understood things, it didn't make sense to me. And I knew I couldn't understand what they were saying. I knew I couldn't understand what I was saying. So what is? How do I get a hold of any of this? So meaning comes up in a very early age for all of us. We either find some excuse for not having to ask the question, or we ask the question. And that was what happened with me. I had a, I had to ask the question, I had to follow the question. And so, yes, Gandhi taught me, and Hari taught me that I can use the word sadhu. I never thought I would hear, hear that <laughs> in my own voice. But, uh, Hari is like a sculpture, and maybe the idea will come out of me, or at least people will be able to find the idea. I don't want to stand in the way, but I do want to be a light. So back to truth. Is there something re is real? means to say is true. To say something is exists means that it's real. To say something is known 
to say, I see its truth. And so you can't get away from trying to talk about truth. You can't get away from having to include, I know it. I know it. That's how we see it every, all, all our lives in, in this world. It's just, I know it. Okay, don't tell me that. I've had enough. And I found myself growing up wanting to and needing to understand how, as an artist, I evoke the word truth. And I say, I'm looking for the universals. My art speaks for me across cultures. Music speaks for me across cultures. I know something because the way I feel it. Let me try to express myself. Let me get some paints out. Let me try to make it clearer. Let me get my chisel out. I'm trying to make clearer to you uh, what I'm trying to say. I'll sculpture what you need. In science, I say, I know it. And uh, in saying that, I mean, I understand what it is and how I'm going to be able to build a new type of computer because I know it. I know how it works. I know its structure. I know its interactions. And my truth, when the artists and the scientists get together, they can't talk. That's an overstatement, but generally you, you see very often comments of um, what is the art? Um, and if I become a priest, then what I hear from the outside is you'll tell me what to believe and what not to believe. And uh, you'll say, this is what's true. And I may not agree with either the artist or the scientist saying what's true, but they all use truth in a universal way. They're all seeking truth, they're all trying to express truth, they're all trying to say, because of this, I know how the world works and I feel comfortable in it. I can produce something in it. I can give it meaning. And um, so to expand on each of those, to maybe make it clear and make it examples. <clears throat> There's lots of quotes. I should have brought a bunch of them, but then it has to be leafing through pages. Um, As an artist, I may say something like, I know this because of how it, because now I can really feel it. And um, in fact, I'll give an example here of 
in class one, one of the art science classes I taught, I gave um, an assignment. First question, what is the wind? Second question, what is the wind? Third question, which is wind to you? And then expanding it on it a little bit. In the first, what is the wind? Let everything come into it. Don't just try to get across to me, because if I'm going to know something, it means I have to be able to express it too. I know it. Once you know it, it's no longer just yours. It's the way you interact, it's the way you share, it's the way you see, it's the way you believe. So I know it says, I know what the wind is, and I can, and I can get across to you. Don't let anything not be included that you feel is relevant. Just bring up what you feel about wind. Second question, what is the wind? Okay, now this time try to be restrictive. Try to decide what is the wind itself. If I ask what is the wind, I want to know what is the wind. Not how you felt in the morning. Or extraneous things you might bring into it. There's a story of when you were out in a blizzard one time. I want to know what the wind is, not how you felt. So which is wind to you? Well, in the class or there was a dancer. And she said, I really thought about that question for a long time. And then I realized I could only get wind across to you if, if I dance. And I can show you wind. But she said, but that's not going to get wind. That's not, because you have to feel wind in You have to feel the wind. So how do I get you to feel the wind? I have to teach you to dance. If I teach you to dance, then you will feel wind in you. So she can't give you wind, but she knows what wind is. And to give it to you is to have you know how to experience wind. So it becomes something which is, oh God, you know, where do I go from here? If I'm not the artist, I'm not the dancer. There was a nuclear engineering student in the class who said, I try to understand that question and I worked on it, what is the wind? I went outside and it was a nice breeze. But that's not what wind is. I want to know what wind is. And I, and to me, it still boils down to masses of air driven by pressure and temperature gradients. The horizontal motion is the wind. We sense it when we don't set the vertical updraft and downdraft. So the wind becomes masses of air being moved by pressure and temperature gradients. The weather map. All the things you can say about modeling climate. All that comes out of understanding the wind. And there was a student who said that, yes, I'm an engineering student. My advisor told me that you'll be a good engineer 
when, when you look at a building, you see a force vector coming off of the corner. You look at the building and see how weight and mass and motion interact. You can see how it, where it's going to carry the stresses. So, so if you look at the artist, if I can paint that pond in a way that I really feel that pond when I look at that painting, and I think you can see the pond too. I can think you can see the essence of pond in my abstract piece. Or I think you can, I can, you can see the ideal in my sculpture. That's what I'm reaching for in the art. And I take myself, I know it. I know it makes sense because I know. To understand wind, I bring it into me. I know. Let me, let me paint that on this canvas. Let me show brush strokes that carry me off someplace. The scientist will say, is I, I want to know it. And if I'm going to build, a, have a world and understand the world, it can't depend on me. I wasn't here at the time of the dinosaurs. There's a universe out there. Right. What is it? And I'm built out of it. What are the what are the laws? What are the rules? What is what is the what do I do with this universe I find myself in? It is bigger than I, so I must be part of it. So I'll understand myself if I know the physics. From the physics I can get to chemistry, from chemistry I can get to life, from life I can get to consciousness. And I can understand each of these in turn building up from the essence of matter, from the essence of what I express, the essence of what I see, the essence of the wood I can knock on. And so the artist who knows something says, let me, let me express myself. Let me try to find my feeling through expression. Let me take the paintbrush here. I'll just keep painting until yes, 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 that's the way it begins to feel. The scientist will say, what is real is numbers and measures. Nature measures herself. It is not red colors. All that stuff is subjective. It all depends on, I know I see red. I see green, I see yellow. That's in me. That's not real. You'll understand where those colors come from when we understand the brain better. You'll understand the brain better depending on how it interacts with the um, how it interacts with the information coming in through the eyes. So, it becomes, 
for the artist's eye becomes the basis. For the scientist, the basis of meaning is in it. And then I know, I know it. And then, in what I take as a spiritual, you approach, you approach how, what is the experience of the spirituality? I may do it as an artist, but I may say, I know it. Experience God, experience the angels, experience the sadhu on the street. As I experience things, I'm coming to know things. And it is that knowing that I seek. And when I know, as far as I can know, then I will say, that is what I am. So, Carl Jung, the philosopher, psychologist, I think he was the one who said something like, religion is nothing if it is not consistent with your awareness. A life consistent with your awareness. So spirituality is a life consistent with one's awareness. But we, but in a way we all live consistent with our awareness. Even if my world feels hateful, even my world feels mean and petty, even my world feels drunk and happy. Because that's what I'm aware of. I'm aware of all these different kinds of people who are walking up and down the street. And maybe I feel something for them, or maybe I don't feel anything at all. Maybe I just see them as blurs or shapes. That's my awareness. So, so no, we can't escape from that living our awareness, because that's what I see when I see you. My kind of awareness says, you're from, you're from Mexico. I know I don't like these people. So you end up, that if you're going to change anything in that statement. It's the awareness that has to change. So the spiritual life is ever-deepening awareness. When I come back, I see something differently than I did before. I erase. What I see is um, I see as, as, I see the quality of the world change around me as I change my awareness. And so there's lots of ways of doing that. You know,
Raja Yoga, one gets into um, these Buddhist, various Buddhist practices, various religious practices. Um, but religion is really a seeking of the self. Going back to my uncle, the priest, Uncle Pete, um, he used to tell homilies, there's lots of versions of these things, which have to do with, with the mystery of this. <clears throat> that I would, as a kid, would ask him, what's this? And he, I, even when I was a teenager and later, and before I got Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> we'll come back to it. Um, I would say, what is this that religion is saying? He, was, he would say a mystery. And that, to me, that felt like a cop-out. You know, what is this a mystery? Don't, don't ask questions like that. He, he wasn't saying that. But that's what I took it for, you know. Um, <clears throat> here, I believe in God. I believe it's a mystery. Well, he was consistent just before his death. He was saying, "Ah, now I will find the answer to my experiment. Was I right or wrong?" As <laughs> uh, I look forward, you know, I'll be able to to answer my question finally. And when you pursue trying to find out who was my meaning, was the context of things, that becomes I want to say this. That becomes knowing that you can't know. It becomes a mystery. You are that mystery. I am that mystery. So Uncle Pete would say, to live that mystery, to understand that mystery is faith. That is what I mean by faith. I hold it as true because I've experienced as close as I can get to it. And I trust what I have felt, because that's what it is. I know it. I and know and it are all the same. I know it as one. Because it can't stand alone. It does stand alone. I know, but I do not know. I am me, but I'm not me. I am something which, if I try to talk about it, is contradictory. I can't get it clear to you. I can't get it clear to me if I try to talk about it. But I, one can see structural features of it, if you want to call it that. 
and some of the features are Hang on, folks. Huh. I think that's where you put this. Back up for a minute. So some of the features are that, you know, Uh, everything I say, even my awareness and spirituality, is illusionary. I can't say it as absolute truth. It becomes kind of institutionalized as truth. But you see this fact that truth has to be so broad that it includes its own contradiction. I am, I am and I am not. I know and I know not. It is and it is not. And the solution to that is to recognize and feel the infinite which, can, which has to embrace its own negative. I can talk about God either nitty nitty, not this, not this. Or I can talk about God as yes, this, yes, this. I see God in everything. He's not God. I'm not God. How dare you call me less than a God? How dare you call me a God? And so that's the story of being seeking the truth. And finding out people will say God is the infinite and God is one and God is zero. And the world is finite and God is infinite. And with language like that, you mean that if I'm if I'm finite and we have to share this. It's the thing that's you and it. It's the thing that's me and have. And if I want more, I have to take from you because we're finite. So I go to war. So there's evil. It just comes down to the nature of two things vying for its own limited world. I have to consume because I want to eat so I won't starve to death, so I exist, so I am real. The motive that was there at the beginning is still there. And so I struggle with it in a world of contradiction or I begin to have the contradictions become the mystery and I know how the mystery feels. And I, who am little and petty and small, am the mystery.
One of the things that's fun, maybe I'll change my mind as I go along here. Um, 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 um. What was that? I was looking for my shakuhashi. Oh, the flute? Yeah. I think it's behind your stick. Oh, right <coughs> I have no idea what's behind. I just brought it because who knows. Anyways, really right now, I just want to show you something about it. Okay, this is an old Japanese food. Maybe some 150, 200 years old now. And I found it on Solano in a Solano Avenue right over here. In a gift shop, which is no longer there, and it's on the wall about the time they were going to sell out and close up the store. And there were actually two of these, and one had a big split in it, and now it's always built. This one I picked up, and a big cloud of smoke came out, <laughs> dust, and couldn't make a sound. And I said, Yes. So, it's been blown with love for a long time. The mouthpiece is completely worn. It's more of a wabasabi food. The pitch is not quite perfect and so forth. But that's what makes it beautiful. But the point is that there are also flutes like this which are made out of bamboo. Some are much more heavy. And the difference now between the finite world and the infinite world is this, that a Japanese monk during the Edo period could go anywhere if he was the monk. And you see pictures of them with a basket over their head, which they would set out of a begging basket. And they would have their food. Well, if I can go anywhere with something over my head and carry a big stick, I'm a good spy. And something like shakuhashi is a good weapon. A tool is neither good or bad, but a tool can do always serve the good or the bad. So, if you realize a tool you begin to realize the good and the bad is one. So becoming is, again, I know it, is how is it connected, how you can't separate it. I know what, I can do it this way. I know it, I can conjure up the infinite. And so, I think that's it, folks. Mm -hmm. I think that it rolls on from here, but in your voices now. And maybe I'll just close with a little sound.
what is the wind? Thanks. understood some of what he said, maybe you've understood none of what he said. You say, this is a very interesting fellow. Maybe you've understood part of what he said. That's very common with sadhus. <laughs> it's really common. So you have to just quietly poke them. You know, quietly say, oh, I don't really understand that person, but they're really interesting. Quietly poke them, you know, because it, it's it's a matter of you both adjusting your mental vibes so that there's a, a find a point of communion, you know, and then when you find that sort of balancing, then you start to ask the questions at that level, you know, and it could be, you know something mundane like what do you have for breakfast or something like what is the meaning of God <laughs> and everything in between but the key is for, for you get to get the skill and the confidence to, to approach these people apply a question and then listen deeply and don't expect to understand right away. You know, you know, many, many, many things that my Guruji taught me, I'd be, I'd be listening to him thinking, what is he talking about? <laughs> you know, what the heck is he saying? This is my mental dialogue. And then all of a sudden, six years later, I'll hit my head and go, oh, <laughs> that's what he was talking about. And uh, okay, immediately, make adjustments in my life because it, it took time for what, what was being said to sort of mature and steep in my mind for me to get it, <laughs> you know? And then I'll say, gee, it seems so simple. Why didn't I get it? And then you make those adjustments. But the key is to find these people of, of interest and um, they're all different. Every, every sadhu has their own voice. See, they all have their own voice. Um, that's why I was happy to have Nick come and speak because his dialogue is very different than my dialogue. But I'd have to say they're equally valid. Well, even though they're very different, but they're, they're valid. Because it, it comes from that profound internal smoldering what is truth what what is meaning what's worthwhile you know, you know what is vision what is blindness these are like really fundamental things you know what's worth paying attention to what's not worth paying attention to like I said, when I was a nine-year-old boy, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention the woman's first name. Her name was Audrey. And um, so you can say she's actually my first Guruji. 
And she was only a 24-year-old girl, you know. At 60-something at now, I can say she's a girl. <laughs> it's all relative. But, you know, she, she taught me what to pay attention to. See? She actually taught me what to pay attention to. Her, her sort of native kindness, native generosity um, taught me that, oh, pay attention to that, to that, that quality. That, that that's actually a, a valuable quality. So it wasn't anything that she per se said. It was my observation of her. Her her how she lived her life was the teaching. See? I never asked her a philosophical question at all. Not once. But I always knew that I had to sense her joy being around her. You know, it, it, we could be talking about anything, you know, but there was always a joy present. So we have to we have to learn to sort of spot these people. You know, to, to most people, uh, that young woman Audrey is just a nice person amongst many nice people, but that woman changed the entire course of my life. I mean, down to my marrow, she changed everything. Um, so we, we have to learn to try to pass through this world with a type of sensitivity, saying, you know, where do I see and where do I find meaning? And then get next to it, you know, whether there's a dialogue or there's no dialogue, there's always communication. You know, like we all, it's, most of us have had sometimes had pets in our life. Well, there's no dialogue between your pet, but there's always some form of communication. You know, you can feel it. They can feel it, you can feel it, you know. And the same thing with, with, with people. Um, we, we have to accept the teachings as the teachings present themselves. See? So with my friend Audrey, um, the, the, the teaching didn't come uh, through philosophical discussion. It came through her living presence, the, the energy, and how she um, engaged with the world. You know, very compassionate, sort of a joyful, compassionate energy that, that she engaged in the world. So I, I, I want you to be looking at the world and looking at people um, not in a superficial way. Say, always say, ask yourself, like, what, is, what energy is that person generating? And then don't leap into it right away. Stand back and watch, you know. Don't say, oh, they're so happy, they're so festive. That may be fraudulent. Don't jump in. Watch. Is, is their joy consistent? See, does their joy, you know, go through the different conditions of their life? See, is it, is it dispositional joy or dispositional insight? Or is it sort of popcorn joy? 
where it's here today, gone tomorrow. You, you want to observe people really carefully and, and find what's dispositionally positive in them. See? It's part of their disposition. It's not part of their popcorn life. Gone today, come tomorrow, you know, like that. You know? Just lean back and, and watch. Where, where's Fong? Fong? She's hiding. Come, please. <laughs> You're going to be my <laughs> a, a type of prop. Come, please. Just see. This, this girl here. <laughs> I'm an old man, so I can call her a girl. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a, a secret that, that you really, really should learn if you want to go uh, far in spiritual life. This is really, really important. It, you're going to leap beyond a whole lot of other people. If you have a spiritual gathering, there's all kinds of people in the room, and there's some, there's some Guruji present, and if there's a Guruji present, there'll always be some of his significant students around who are in this path of yoga, in this life, you know, this Dharma life. Dharma, Dharma means uh, the, stir, the search for truth, you know, you know the, the prosperous, joyful wholeness of life. That's Dharma. So there'll be a room, there's 30, 40, 50 people in the room. Quietly lean back with your ears and your eyes open and look for the quietest person in the room. <laughs> Don't look for all the people who are making noise and laughing and the, forget those people. Look for the quietest person in the room and put your attention there. You know? So somebody like Fong here is one of the quietest people in the room. Those people are going to be the highest disciples. They, 100% they're going to be the most significant ones in the room. You know, their level of expression is more subtle and more profound. You know, they don't have to be putting on the show and, you know, stirring the, the pot. You know, they've been there, done that. So, so a, a person like Fung, uh, super quiet, super quiet. But this is the case of still waters run deep. So, you, as regular people, you'll go right past a person like Fung. But Fung has developed... Um, uh, she understands... There's two things that we in higher yoga you learn. That um, sacrifice... These are like a formula that you can use. Sacrifice equals love. And when a person is sacrificing, they're not banging any drums. They're not saying, look at me. They're, they're quietly, busily doing the work. So Fung has this ability of profound self-sacrifice. She's doing, 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 quietly for the welfare of others, which, is, which means generating love, generating love, generating love. 
but there's no horn or or drum being rung. It's just quietly, quietly, persistently going on. It's it's uh, foundational to her her character and foundational to her nature. Most of the time, she's trying to hide away. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the first time I saw this girl, uh, her daughter introduced me. Within seconds, I was praying. I said, God, please send this one. Please bring this one. <laughs> you know, because it's not, I'm not looking for the noise. I'm not looking for the fireworks. I'm looking for that, that deep, persistent, silent, loving heart within the person. You know, that's not looking to show off, but just looking to manifest itself. Just like we go to a flower garden. The flower garden's not trying to show off. It's just trying to manifest itself. But what it's manifesting is beautiful. But it's not saying, hey, look at me. Whether people see it or don't see it, it's still expressing what it is. See? Those are the ones you want. Those are the ones you get next to. You know, Nick Warren's deadly quiet. <laughs> you know? But he's quietly manifesting what he is. Even if you don't understand, like, I don't understand that rose, it's different. Get next to it. <laughs> the fragrance will slowly come across and you'll, then you'll start to inquire. So, you know, different, different advanced students will, will, will manifest uh, uh, differently. Um, but it's really up to you to learn to be quiet and watch. Don't jump in right away. Oh, that person is this and that person. Forget all that. You know, forget even if they're in robes. Forget all that. Watch them deeply. You know, be quiet. Listen, watch. Scrutinize. You know, over a prolonged period of time. And then if you see that, that they, they, they have a, a dispositional quality that is positive, that's the ones to get next to. You know, you'll see Fong running around doing this, running around doing that, run, but you'll never hear her. Completely quiet. You know, it, it, it's, and I'm using her as an example because these are the hidden ones that you have to learn to spot. You know, like if you're in India, you know, and, and we're, we're going down the road, all of a sudden, say, stop. You know, let's go pranam, I mean, bow. You know, some fellow on the side of the road looks like a beggar. That's no beggar. We might have passed 50 beggars along on that same road, but that fellow's not a beggar. You, you, you have to learn to be, to be uh, more intuitive, to, to, to trust your gut, and then just to sit down, just sit on the ground, you know, make some tea, and then see what, see what arises. See, you have to have that kind of openness to, to see what happens, you know. But you have to get that kind of intuitive, perceptive awareness to spot them, you know. Some, some woman sitting on her, her porch, you know, some quiet grandmother. Why should you assume that she's just some quiet, know-nothing grandmother? Pay attention. Pay attention. You'll be shocked at what you find out. So, like, via our media, 
we're trained to pay attention to the to the glamorous, to the noisy, to the sparkling. Most saints are not sparkling. You know, most saints are like quiet rivers or quiet gardens that are hidden in the forest that you sort of stumble across. You know, most saints are like that. There's a few saints that are like big, big, big and big and shiny. God tells them to do that. But most saints are not that way. You know, think of when uh, Master Jesus walked the earth. Wasn't he as humble as the dust? You know, was he in princely robes or was he wearing common, common robes? Just like a, a, a common peasant, you know? Did, did he, you know, you know, fly through the air or did he work as a carpenter? <laughs> How many people walked past that great soul and didn't, didn't realize that a great soul had just passed them? Why were there 12 following and not 12,000? Did people really see what was quietly walking through their village? See? So this is the this is the way of the saints that you know and all and these sadhus. A, a sadhu is is a person who is who is pursuing fundamental truth. They're they're in the process of profound inquiry, uh, inquiry, exploration, and discovery. So you have sadhus of all different levels, grades. But they're all involved in that persistent search for truth, search for meaning, see? But us, as, as regular human beings, we have to learn how to, <coughs> how to spot them, you know, because they're here. You, you just have to learn to be quiet and, and, and more intuitive not as intellectual your, your intellect it's a useful tool but often not that valuable you know you know in the crude way you can say trusting your gut but intuition is is even higher than that you know and, and the more you sort of learn to trust your gut you know beyond what you think your intuitional facility will start to come more and more online because you're simply exercising it more. So learn to, to sort of trust your sort of intuitive self and learn to be exceptionally observational. Watch, 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 watch. And say, is this popcorn? Is this just a, a momentary event? Or is this dispositional to that soul? You know? So that soul is in the room. There's some guruji there. And they manage to maintain, no matter all the activity that's going on, they manage to maintain a silence. Now, isn't that interesting? While everyone's bubbling, 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 they're maintaining a silence. Why? Go talk to that person. You know, go, go start, to, start to probe. You know, this, this is how you find um, the sadhus, find the yogis, find the saints. Most saints are hidden. Most saints are hidden, I'm telling you. 
you know. And then when you quietly are sitting with them, you'll see a twinkle in their eye. They look like, you know, you know, Joe Peasant or Miss Grandmother. And then I always say, wait a minute, what is that twinkle in their eye? You know, that's not normal. You know, this this person's had a hard life. You know, they should have, you should see some suffering in their eye. Wait a minute. How come, how come they had this twinkle? Get next to that person. You know, quietly learn to make friendships. You know, you shouldn't just, you know, we sort of collide with other people and sort of spontaneous friends sort of pop up. It's sort of like ping ball. What's that called? Ping pong? Like not ping pong. Those ping balls that are bouncing around and those oh, are pinball. Pinball. That's the word. Pinball. They're bouncing around in the arcade. That's sort of us, you know, sort of finding friends. But it's it's much better to, uh, just to to slow down. So that that's sort of spontaneous, you know friendships that pop up but I'm telling you that's okay that's life but to take it a step further to say what type of friend do I want you know what kind of friend truly holds meaning and then to search out those souls you know in my life I've done that my entire life you know they're sort of uh, situational friends, you're at work, you're in school, so you're, they're around you all the time, so you sort of have a sort of a semi-friendship going on. But, yeah, try to go beyond that, where, where there's certain things that you want to understand about life, and then s- quietly keep your eye open for people who are, who are fulfilling those qualities. And then just make a determination I am going to be that person's friend. You know, they don't even have to reciprocate, but you have to, from your own heart, say, my friendship is there for that person. And then just see what develops. But make yourself available. Try to enter that relationship. You know, seek out those people. You know, uh, you'll be surprised at, at, at the type of uh, people that you'll meet. And then from... The, the, those types of people, they'll bring you into your into their sphere of friends, and you'll you'll start to learn. You know, your sort of your constellation of friends will bloom. But it's not only the constellation will bloom; it's the type of person will bloom. You know, everybody seeks their own level. You know, yogis mingle with yogis. You know, musicians mingle with musicians. Jocks mingle with jocks. You know, it's, it's dispositional. So you, you find a, a person who is uh, demonstrating some exceptional quality of heart and get next to them. By getting next to them, you've just, you just upped the quality of your life. You know, just like me running into the, that woman, Audrey, the, the entire quality of my life for the rest of my life was changed. And there's, there's several people like that that I could say um, well, that are even this moment with me in my heart because they changed everything. <laughs> you know, to everybody else, they're regular people. But it was 
that exceptional quality in them completely changed the dynamics and the trajectory of, of, of my life. So, but you've, you've got to slow down and pay attention, you see? Forget the noisy ones. You know, that's a lot of popcorn. Look for, look for persistent dispositional qualities. So with, you know, Fung here, you have this silent, loving generosity. You know, that, that, that's characteristic of her. Silent, loving generosity, you know? And from a yogic perspective, you know, uh, the whole yoga that will manifest in and through her and that the teachers will bring to her will manifest because of those qualities, you know? So she's not a noisy soul. So we'll come to her uh, through a profound, loving silence. That, that will be the nature that she'll learn from birth to birth to birth. A profound, loving silence will, will bloom, will bloom, will bloom until her realization. See? Yeah. There's, there's many, many ways. There's two grand schools, you know. One is that school of profound love, and the, the other school is the profound silence. See, those are the, the two schools that, that, are, that are going on, the two ways. In the, in the love, silence is mingled. In the silence, love is mingled. They're not perfectly pure. They, they're, they're actually the same thing, but they're, they're two faces of, of the same reality. It's like two sides of the same coin. You know, if you get like a, a person like a, you know, Kitty over there or, or Susan over there, you know, those are more love spirits. <laughs> you know, you know, where they have a, uh, like her is like sincere uh, love spirit. That one's like joyous love spirit. And, and, and that's, and these people have been with here a long time. But the, the sadhanas and their, their movement towards truth will come through those energies. Those are the energies that they'll come through. They'll, they'll go through those expansions, you know. It's like that one's profound, sincere love. So that's, gonna, that, that's the method of expansion that she's going to go through. And that one joyous love. That's, that's how God will come to them. There'll, there'll be this, these like explosions and expansions of joyous love, joyous love, joyous love, realization. That'll, that's how it's going to happen. You know? Those are, it's because it's dispositional. <laughs> it's dispositional. See? But we as uh, aspirants have to learn to spot them. You know, spot who's doing something significant. And the question is, is it dispositional? See, is it fundamental to their nature? See, not popcorn. Not popcorn joy or popcorn sincerity. You know, sincere today, not so sincere tomorrow. You know? <laughs> See, these are, these are things that are really... I'm, I'm giving you like a major heads up on, on how to, to enter into a community of meaning, a community of, of significance. You know how to how to spot them, how to get next to them, and and to to have that persistent, you know, offering your friendship, and then being present. You know, just learn to be present. 
not you're not always going to be accepted right away. Yogis are going to test you to to see if you if this is just popcorn curiosity or dispositional curiosity. See, yogis don't like their time wasted, just like you don't like your time wasted. You know, yogis want to be involved in meaningful projects. You know, so if you're a meaningful project, meaning you're truly searching for meaning and truly searching for stable joy, uh, uh, then they'll take an interest in you. But they're going to watch you first to, to see if this is stable or is this part of sort of popcorn nature. See? So, this is sort of an unusual satsang in a way. But you're, you're, I'm, I'm telling you a lot of inside baseball so that you really know how to how to progress because in, in, in your early and mid training you progress in a group in the higher training you're more or less you sort of progress on your own by yourself but in early and mid training you move as a group but you have to learn to enter into these groups you know there's many others that I, I haven't m mentioned here, you know, that, that are very good. I, I, some of them, the ones I've mentioned because of long-time relationships. There's, there's others who are, are sweet and very good, but there's long-term projects. You know, many, many, many births. You know, this one, this one, this one, this one, all these long, long-time projects. Um, but but they're here and they're learning and they're listening and they're showing up or the uh, Sylvia back there you know social humanitarian back there with her beautiful boy you know but the thing is once you come to the attention of a guruji they don't forget you in terms of maybe in your name we may forget this or that but your energetic we don't forget you know we don't forget that that's like a uh, a persistent pattern that you're you're manifesting, you're, you're generating. If it's popcorn, we don't pay attention. But if, if you really are uh, seeking meaning, it's marked down in our in our in internal journal, and uh, and then quietly persistent prayers are said uh, on your behalf um, that you find them. The most, uh, the most meaningful, the most productive place to study. Sometimes it's here, sometimes it's there. The, the, the real gurujis are not possessive of you, uh, possessive of you. We we just want what's best for you. You know, wherever that is. You know, I've told people, hey, go go spend more time in the Catholic Church, because that was worth it, what they needed. You know, you know, go to your temple, your synagogue, your your mosque, because that's what they needed. Or sometimes stay here. You're in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You know, you have to do what is for the best. See, what is for the best? There's no possession. You know, we're all children of God, all at different places in our understanding, uh, places in, in our growth. And we have to be in, in whatever the most nutritive circumstances, that's where you should be sent. See? So, the uh, the real gurujis will 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 tell you what's appropriate for you. You know, they won't think, oh, 
take this one in, take this one in. They're not trying to build a kingdom. They're just, they're just gardeners. You know, if a gardener says, oh, this person will grow in this soil, then we'll put them in that soil. Oh, this person will grow in that soil. We put them in that soil. You know, and this is a particular soil here. Okay, you're good for here. Stay here. It's really like that with real teachers. It's with real teachers. You know, we're not trying to, to build big organizations and, and extort tons of money and, and be praised. You know, who can be praised before God, for God's sakes? If you ever have a, a glimpse of God, your head is down. Because the only thing beautiful, the only thing praiseworthy is God. Once you ever have a glimpse of that, you're never sticking your chest out. You know, that's just not happening. You know, because that is unimaginably glorious, unimaginably beautiful. See? Everything else is a shadow in comparison to that. See? So, but the thing is, we all want you to have some glimpse of that because once that occurs in your life, you'll never quit. Once that occurs, you'll never fall asleep. See? You'll always have that smoldering desire, smoldering inquiry until, you know, you reach that completion. See? You know, why are we seeking ice cream? Why are boys seeking girls and girls seeking boys? Because one way or the other, whatever you're pursuing, you're seeking completion. See? But in the beginning, we try to seek completion through the material, through the manifest. And then later on, we'll seek completion beyond the manifest. See? That's the highest, highest. The cosmic consciousness, <laughs> as opposed to our localized consciousness. See? Cosmic union, as opposed to you know, micro-union, see? When you eat your ice cream and have some pleasure, when you chase your boy or girl and have some pleasure, that's, that's micro. The Gurujis want you to have macro experience, see? Where, it's, where you come to settled truths, not relative truths, see? Truth truths, not fluctuating, you know, situations. You know, up and down, up and down, up and down. So are there any any questions for, for my my brother here, Nick, or questions from me? Nick, who were some of your early teachers? Nature. Nature. Um, I can't answer it that way because, I mean, in terms of following anyone because I didn't, I stumbled. Um, I had a fine, oh yeah. Could you turn this? Hey, could you? Um, yeah, I guess I to give an honest answer is simply that, that I hinted that when I was Still between five and ten or something like that. Um, there was a friend down the block where I lived who said, Well, he grew up, he wanted to be a priest. And he did. He asked me if I was going to be a priest, and I said, No, I can't. And I don't know what truth is. Um, 
don't know who to believe. I can't believe myself. I don't know the whole thing of the programs. And so I think I just simply struggled with inquiry and went into science because it represented how we find truth in, in the current modern time. Uh, I'll believe it if the science is behind it. Uh, I went into art because I had to explore what was the expression of, of uh, what was the expression of expression? What was how, how did that come to closure? How did I feel? What I'm searching, I have no ideas, I just keep going over the canvas over and over. Um, and behind it was always this question of consciousness, which is the same as spirituality in my mind. And uh, that I was really like Uncle Pete, except he had settled on a particular philosophy. And um, so I had experiences, I guess is the best way to put it, I found myself looking back doing things which I now when I experienced or felt or um, which kind of come out of the yogic out of the yogic literature but I didn't know anything about that and in fact I didn't want to know anything about that because I wanted to if I'm going to be studying science then I'm bringing that not as an inquiry about material per se, but about ways of knowing, about saying, I, I know it. And so to mix it with belief, I should, if I'm a scientist, I should be able to question religion too. I'd be able to question faith also. I have to be able to question um, any of those experiences. Why is my art not real as a, when a scientist says it? It's not, you know, it's just, sub just subjective. Um, what do I answer to the um, scientists trying to point out why the artist says what you're saying misses the boat completely about about how to live in the world, um, about knowing what the understanding of the world. So each of those things were paths, and I found I had to stick on art and science for a long time, and then I couldn't move to consciousness until much later. And I came, that unfolded through first some connections in the, uh, in the sciences and then sciences and consciousness. Um, and I think probably the profoundest beginning of union with connecting with other people, connecting with gurus, if you want to call it that, or still be the book. Um, I had some Kundalini experiences, which I had no idea what those were. I said I was probably crazy, which I knew I always was, and uh, held it together anyway, best I could. And uh, then I found a book that was interesting because it was in 1904, I think it was, and it was. Um, Two years before Einstein came out with a theory of, uh, of uh, general special relativity, and uh, 
writer in this book said, uh, who's Swami, uh, that science is now beginning to understand energy and matter are the same thing. Soon they will understand that, and sometime they will understand that science, or that uh, matter, energy, and consciousness are the same thing. And uh, you may think this is very perplexing what I'm writing, and very silly. But wait 50 years, and you'll begin to see something. Well, in 1954, 1955, uh, Schrodinger, who is one of the developers of quantum mechanics, said there is a paradox. And the paradox is that you and I and all we're in this room together, we're here, right? How is there one room and so many different minds? How can it be so many different people if, if how do we share this? We have to be the same mind. So it said the answer has already been given by the Upanishads. The Hindu approach is what we have to understand where consciousness will be uh, important. And so in physics, we begin the quantum mechanics of relativity and begin to see the importance of measure and apparently measure as the act of knowing. So consciousness is now, physics as everybody knows, has entered its realms of, par of uh, paradox. Biology is beginning to find its paradoxes as it tries to put everything into the material brain. They'll find it can't put all of it there. So they'll have their own paradoxes. Um, and for myself, going back to the Kundalini, <coughs> um, oh, and going back to the Kundalini, was this very rational book gave us on target description of my Kundalini experience. All the things I was feeling was my own craziness. Well, by God, you know, he's hearing a book, and this guy wrote a very sensible book. So there's something besides this craziness in normal life. Um, and so I began to say, now I can begin to approach spiritual studies, because now I can seek what that experience is. And so at that time, I ran across the Dalai Lama a couple of times, just uh, kind of with luck. And then Muktananda kind of somebody there pointed in the direction of uh, Sri Ramakrishna. And so I ended up in the uh, Ramakrishna, Vivekananda uh, lineage, uh, and with the Hollywood uh, um, Banana Center. And who would I deem as a guru? I think Hari. Because he's the one who's kind of let me out of the closet. Or is letting me out of the closet? Oh, toss me out with the garbage. Clean <laughs> <laughs> <In> the closet. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's as honest as I can say. You're a scientist, Will, aren't you? Not really. <laughs>
Any other thoughts or questions? This is unusual satsang, interesting though. Different. It's good. And it's, it's interesting, you too, you know. Mm -hmm. You have to ask, see, for me, in my mind, I, I haven't seen you girls before. Why do you come on this day? <laughs> Nothing's happenstance. Yeah. Nothing is happenstance. Mm -hmm. There is always a reason for everything. You know. So it's, it's, it's. So that sits in query. Why, why did God send these people? <laughs> because my, my feeling, anyone who walks through the God door, God has sent. You know? So I'll be quietly interested to see you know, who you two girls are and uh, what you girls have been doing. The others I know. Um, but uh, w with, with real satsangs, um, uh, and, and when people show up to satsangs, those are preordained events that, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, consciously or unconsciously, um, you're either meant to know something, meant to ask something, meant to receive something. It's, it's already preordained. You know, you could be anywhere. You know, you, you have tons of friends and tons of events that you could be at. But... Today you were here, you know. <laughs> so that always, for me, is sort of like a, a, an entertaining mystery, <laughs> you know. And maybe I'll see you many, many more times. Maybe I'll never see you again. But you know, you were ordained to be here today and to, and to hear this type of discussion, you know, with this group. And usually, there's more people. This is sort of a micro group today. So it's 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 sort of fun from my side, you know, and uh, and for you to to meet these various people in in the room. Everybody here is questing, you know. Everybody here is is seeking uh, some some truth, you know, and and in the in that truth is embedded uh, peace. In that truth is embedded. Uh, some form of love, uh, and that truth is uh, stability, some kind of stability. Um, that's what everybody in the room is, is here for, and, and to ferret it out, and to be profoundly practical and philosophical, see? You know, but I, I am not an airy-fairy guy. That, that is not who I am. Uh, you know, I, I, True spirituality is a science, you know. It's just a subtle science, you know, just like physics is a subtle science. Spirituality is even more subtle than physics. But it's just as real a science. And there are just as real methodologies, you know. But in, 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 a, in a simple way uh, of, of saying it, you, you, you're... You, in this science of yoga, you're, you're learning uh, to cultivate the essence and the maximum of the nature of love within your heart. And then that's one portion. Another portion is that you, you must learn to enter into the, the mysticism of silence.
See? So when I say the mysticism of silence, it means that silence is not a vacant condition. I said the mysticism of silence. So I mean, there's active verbiage, active movement, active activity within the nature of silence. It's, it, it is not a vacuum. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a door to another dimension. That's what it is. It's a door to another dimension. See? That's... Um, the, that tremendous, profound nature of love exists in this dimension and that dimension. The nature of the silence is the door to another dimension. See? Yeah. So you're all learning various methodologies uh, to, to have the fullness of your experience, the, the fullness of your nature, the fullness of of your potentiality. That's, that is why you're here, see? But you, you, you have to very skillfully learn uh, these mystic silences, uh, uh, sciences and, and uh, have someone to gently press you to, to take that journey. Because the common world will press you to chase pretty cakes and pretty dresses and pretty days they're not gonna. They're not gonna press you to seek the essence of your heart. You know, what, you know. When was the last time someone said, "What is the fundamental nature of your heart, and how do we go at that?" The average world's not interested. You know, the the, 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 the that that is not their uh, agenda, or to say, you know, where is your wholeness within silence? Has anyone? said that to you, where is your wholeness in the silence? No. It's, it's only, only it's a, in a mystic community with the Gurujis where they'll, they'll tell you there is a wholeness, this, there, there is a fulfilling wholeness in silence that will completely stabilize you emotionally, physically, mentally. See? So... The, the satsang is for that reason, uh, so that you're gently pressed in that direction, pressed to, to make those inquiries, so that you don't live sort of a, a frivolous life. You know, you may have done a lot of stuff, but, you know, okay, see you later. You know, how many of us have seen people, you know, pass away and then we think about them and we say, you know, they sort of wasted their life. You know, maybe they were drinking or partying too much or, or, or they chased money and got a gazillion dollars and they were absolutely miserable when they died. You know, it's people who've gotten all kinds of fame and then they killed themselves on drugs or something. Or, or some kind of crazy suicide. And they think, wait, they had all this fame, they had all this fortune, they had all this property, and they committed suicide. So you, you gotta say, well, whatever they were chasing wasn't worth it. They chased name, wasn't worth it. They chased money, it wasn't worth it. They chased, you know, super sexuality. What did it get them, you know? The difference between sexuality and fulfilling relationships is a big difference. <laughs> Maybe you should seek a fulfilling relationship 
And if, if, if sexuality is an observed, fine. You know? But find out which one is most important, which is the primary. The fulfilling relationship is, is primary. You know? The, the, the human sexuality, if it's an additional fruit, no problem. But you want the root to be there. You know? With, with that, without the root, what good is the fruit? See? It's not of no value. You want things that are going to bring wholeness, you know, a sense of personal, profound well-being. See, personal, profound well-being. See, so these are the types of things that you'll you'll learn in this process of of yoga science. And in, like I said earlier, in yoga science, in the beginning and intermediate stages. You're actively, actively in community. So if you're going to be in community, you, you want to find people who are also seeking meaning, not popcorn, you know, not frivolous. And then later on, it's, it's far more of a solitary journey between the soul and the, that, that reality, that God. Um, no one's ever left behind but it's much more of a solitary, solitary journey. Any other questions, thoughts? I have a question. Yes, my dear. So the, in the quest for truth, um, Nick was talking about the, fall, um, the cutting out of non-truth, so not this, not this. Yeah, nutty, nutty. Yeah, not this, not this. Um, but then there's also the times when um, the things fall away just because you're ready. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it seems like in in that um, path that you you, um, you there are times when you make leaps and you're cutting away mm -hmm. and using discipline and sadhana, and then there are times when you just find that you it. That things just sure. naturally fall away. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, just just as as you mature in in the spiritual path. In in the beginning, we're sort of gluttonous. We sort of want everything because we're not sure what's going to work for us. We're not going to show what's going to make us stable. We're not sure what's going to make us happy. So it's like whatever's on the table, I want I want it. But as you, as you mature uh, in, in your practices, you, you start to say what's necessary. It's like on a camping trip. In the beginning, you don't know. So you, you just, you have every tool imaginable. But as you, as you take the journey in, in, your, in your camping life, you realize, wait a minute, I don't need this. It's just a dead weight I'm carrying. You know, you, you learn to say, if, if, it can't, if I can't carry it in my 50-pound pack, I don't need it. But before then, you're like 10 packs and two mules worth of stuff that you're carrying with you. Uh, but a as you make the journey in life, you find out what's important, what's essential. And when, we, when you really understand what's important, what's essential, you naturally just start dropping things away. You know, people drop away, jobs drop away, circumstances drop away, desire for notoriety drops away. It's, it's not necessary for the quest, see? 
You know, if, 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 you're, if you're seeking wholeness with a whole bunch of people who are exercising profound incompleteness, are they necessary for your journey? <laughs> or are they an obstacle? You know, if, if they themselves are not seeking wholeness, they just become an obstacle. They're, they're making gratuitous noise. See? You, you, you start to say, what is noise and what is music? See? And all, all the noise or tools that are not necessary, they just quietly, you either cut them out or they drop away. Mm. See? You, you start looking for the music of life. You know, is, is this person's heart singing or, or are they just psychologically raging? If they're psychologically raging, you say a prayer for them, Panam, and continue on your journey. See? preferred the word renunciation. I'm sorry, she, she preferred the relinquishment to renunciation. So kind of the Indian use of renunciation and discrimination was softened because in some ways she said it's, it's easier Americans if you tell them to renounce something that seems you know too harsh. But she said the experience is more of relinquishing. You just don't need it anymore. And so that's when the chip is now falling off on its own. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yes, you can say one, you start off having to take your chisel, and then you end up with a rock almost mm -hmm. melting under your hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If anyone's not familiar with Peaceful Gold Pilgrim, you should just uh, go to Amazon and, and, and put in Peace Pilgrim. Now, just to give you a little historical understanding of, that was another genuine American sadhu, a Western woman. And um, Peace Pilgrim was an upper middle class woman, Caucasian woman, who decided that she was going to, this, this happened in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. She was going to walk through every contiguous state of America by herself, not eating unless food was offered and not taking a ride unless a ride was offered. Can you imagine a woman by herself walking through every state of the Union, you know, sleeping on the roadsides and byways and not eating till food was offered or not taking a ride until someone offered. Other than that, she'd just walk, carrying a, a message of, of, of peace and kindness. That was her whole mission, to speak about peace and kindness for the rest of her life to anybody she met. Traveling by herself in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. That's a sadhu. <laughs> Can you imagine, you know, the, the kind of, uh, uh, divine inspiration she had and the kind of divine courage she had it's extraordinary but 
here's a case proof positive. She did it. You know, she walked through every contiguous state, you know, in America with this message of peace and kindness. You know, and because of that profound faith, she was protected. You know, she was a quiet saint right here in America. See? But if you look at her, she looks like grandma. <laughs> you know? She really looks like grandma. But, uh, so, you've, you've got these, uh, you, you've, you've got these models here in the state. In India, it's, it's so cultural. It's, it's, it's literally everywhere. Anywhere in India, there's sadhus. Everywhere. Here, it's more unique, but this is a much younger nation. You know, two, three hundred year old nation. Um, so, and still, uh, yoga science is still immature here. Although you've had many luminaries come uh, to the states, um, but it has to sink into the ground deeply, and the the spirituality of yoga has to seep into the ground, uh, which it hasn't yet done. Um, the, the seeds are here, the seeds are planted, but it's still very, very, very immature, very, very, very juvenile. Um, but if the seed is there, the rest will come. It's just it's in God's time, God's grace, it, it'll come. But whatever is deep in your heart, God will satisfy. One way or the other, if it's deep in your heart, God will satisfy it. That will happen, you know. So everybody here has to have had the desire to meet sadhus, have to have the desire to meet saints, have to have the desire to say what is truth. All of those questions you have had to have. You, could, you can't even get through that door if you never had that in your heart at some time. Everybody who has passed through that door has come based on a profound prayer and, and, and heaven fulfilling that prayer. What you do with that blessing is, is entirely up to you. You're sovereign. You can do what you want. You can go out and go to sleep, or you can say, hmm, what is this meaning thing? And, and start to say, how do I have a, a truly meaningful life? You know, and then when you pick your partners, please try to pick partners that are looking for meaning. See? If we, we pick partners, oh, he's a nice guy. Well, is that going to be enough for a 40-year run? It's a person that has meaning that's really interesting. They're going to be interesting for 40 years, you know, as opposed to you, you're 25 years old, 35 years old, and you pick someone who's just superficial, and you're thinking, you got to go through life. They, they may be nice, they may be pleasant, they may be good, but if they're not seeking meaning, are they really going to be interesting 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road when the bloom of the body beautiful is off? You still want to wake up next to someone who's interesting. That, that a substantive conversation that leads towards a greater wholeness is becoming manifest. See? Because the body beautiful bloom, that's only for so long. And then, if there's no meaning in life, there's definitely separation. You know, because you'll be saying, I'm not moving towards any kind of wholeness.
Only only when you have meaning are you are you expressing and experiencing a greater sense of wholeness. When there's no meaning, there's a vacuum. Hence, why do we have so many divorces in America? Because people come to a point where they realize in this relationship there's no more meaning. So hence, why are you there? Off you go. So. So when you're when you're looking for boyfriends and girlfriends or, or significant others that are going to go for longer periods of time, you know, look for meaning. If you're if you're looking just you know this is a relationship, we're going to enjoy a short amount of time. Just know that going in. Just be honest with yourself. Know that going in, that this is not really a lasting relationship. This is this is just a temporary experience that I'm interested in. <clears throat> no harm, no foul. The key is be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with them. But if you're looking for the longer-term relationship, try to find someone who, who, who is seeking meaning because they will always be interesting and they will always be seeking a greater wholeness because that's what meaning brings, is a greater wholeness. See? Any other thoughts, ideas, questions? Yes, my dear. Um, I wrote something down that Nick said that yes. just keeps sticking out to me. Mm. Um, you said that truth is so broad it needs to contain its own contradictions. Did I hear that right? It, needs to con it contains its own contradictions. And I guess I just always thought of, you know, when all the ignorance is stripped away, all that's left is truth. I guess I always thought of it as more simple. So is there an example that could go it's along both, with? Yes. Zero is... <laughs> An example of zero plus equals one plus minus one. So the wholeness of the numbers is reduced to nothing, reduced to zero, to the origin, to the starting point, by including both the positive and negative. And if I try to do something in the positive and I want to add something and I want to subtract something, I, that becomes a finite. I take from one you know, side and give to the other. The, um, this is why he's talking about truth. Um, it's paradoxical on its own self. Um, if I Well, I'll say this, this maybe is kind of past the point I want to that will be clear to anybody. But if I say that uh, I'm measuring something and I'm measuring it by one, I have to, there's a, there's, to measure something as I know it, I have measured it. So I've measured it in terms of myself. And, uh, And in doing that, I have to be both the same thing in the moment of measurement, and I have to be the other at the moment of knowing. I know it. I know how long the rug is here, because I've measured it. At one point, the measure and the rug were the same, because then I could say that they're both, you know, X. They're both 20 inches or whatever. So, the simple statement, I know it, the simple point of of measuring 
contains the contradiction of being both the same and different. Um, and so I think it's in that spirit that Vivekananda at one point said, and this also goes with the statement of increasing awareness is what you're trying to watch as you grow in spiritual awareness. Um, that there, that everything is truth. It's truth from some perspective, otherwise it couldn't have been offered on the plate. So what you're doing is moving from truth to truth. Right now I look out and I see the moon coming over the eastern horizon and I say, well, the moon is coming up. Somebody else says, no, the earth is rotating. Somebody else says, you know, so. But it's, I'm, you're contradicting the fact that I see the moon going up and over this way. Yes, but what you're really doing is rotating the other way. Um, so I say in my textbook that this is the right answer and that this is the wrong answer. But this is right from where I stood. This is right from what I understand. This is right from my sense of experience. So, so they're both true. One is relative. They're both relatively true, or true relative to the perspective they come from. If I'm lying to you, that's a truth coming at you from the perspective I wanted it to look. And so, in fact, I had a, a, a cousin, not a cousin, a uh, brother-in-law, who felt he couldn't trust anybody in the world. And I kept saying, I, we can't really talk because I trust everybody. I trust a crook to be a crook. <laughs> um, so how you spot a crook is, maybe is the exercise of not trusting. But knowing the crook is a crook is an exercise of knowing the truth in, in the lie. That the, the truth is that the lie itself is the truth. And uh, so that's why I talked about in a finite world, one thing is usually destroyed to be, become the other. I need minerals to make me strong. I take that from plants, food. So I see the material transforming through me. Something has been lost there and something has been gained here. And so the wholeness has to include both of those. And I can describe this as a loss or I can describe it as a gain. I can describe the shakuhashi as a weapon or as listening to the wind. Does that make sense? It's, it's just more of the perspective that can be in contradiction. Hmm? It's just that it's the perspective that can be in contradiction. Uh -huh. Yeah. Thank you. I have a question. How do you balance the truth, you know, seeking the truth, but also being okay with the unknown? Because mm -hmm. I feel like you touched on both of those things. But. Yeah. Because if you go far enough, you 
you come to where you know yourself both as uh, in two aspects. One is uh, you are the same as the source. Um, and you are also confused and think you are what you are. Um, you're different than the world and you're confused about the But what what is real and who's the self that's knowing it? The contradiction of being able to say, you know, I, I know it. And it comes in there. So say that again because I think I have better wording now. How do you balance wanting to seek the truth versus being comfortable with also the mystery and the unknown? Because one is like two sides of the coin. And a better way for me to say it is that um, what you know in the end is mystery. You can't, you, as you try to strip away things more and more to, to find out what is kind of keeping you back from knowing really what's there. You find you're still trying to describe something. So there's still something to strip away. And so finally, it comes to it comes to worship. It, it, it comes to it comes to worship. It comes to recognizing that the whole thing disappears, or else it's already split. And, and to know it. In any sense of being able to say, yes, I know it, already splits it. To say, I am it, is the same kind of sentence, so it still leaves you in unclarity. So if you sense that beyond everything which is self-contradictory, the wholeness behind that, is a mystery. And so Uncle Peter was right. And it wasn't just a cop-out. He was saying, when you understand what is, you have entered the mystery. So it's faith. And if you live faith, then that leads to a sacred life. And you can start faith at many levels. That's why you start with and just saying, I like Cheerios better than Wheaties. Um, I like my religion better than your religion. I believe this, I learned that. In Vedanta, in Indian philosophy, you have not just the word faith, but the word shraddha, which means the power to act, including in faith. I can only act if, I, if there's faith. And faith is, there's a bridge across a canyon and it's a pretty wonky looking bridge it's down to the last couple of ropes and pieces of wood hanging on it off of it. I have faith I can get across. 
means I, I will act. I am going to go across. I have the faith that will hold me. So I said, oh, I believe that bridge will hold you. That means you're not challenging it. You're not going across it. I believe it. I believe it's... Yeah, I think you can do it. I think you can get across there. Um, you, you haven't become part of the thing. You kind of simply without question and without intent of any action, without intention of becoming part of your life, without an intention of making it have value to you. You then you then you can have beliefs. And then you have rules about if you do this or that under my belief you're excommunicated. Um, or you're blessed. I build up all of the um, rules of, and values of, of a particular religion or a particular way of knowing or a particular philosophy or a particular group of people. And but when I really come down to the point of saying, yes, it becomes a leap of faith. And you, you, so it's not blind faith. Eyes wide open, and I'm willing, and I am going to go across that bridge. Perhaps. <laughs> Questions, ideas, thoughts? Susan? Steve? Craig? <laughs> Will? As a human being, uh, the word a revelation is, is very important. You should think about your life as, as a, you're, you're, you're a living, breathing entity in the process of revelation. You're a living, breathing entity in the process of revelation. So when you say revelation, there's the, the known and there's the unknown. <clears throat> and revelation is, is that in-between point from where you stand to where you stand next. <laughs> See? To your current understanding to your next understanding. That's your revelation. So we're, we're living, breathing human beings in the persistent process of revelation. And it's, it can be unconscious revelation when we're just sort of stumbling forward, or it can be conscious revelation where it means you're paying attention, <laughs> see? And as you pay attention, and then you can deepen your concentration, then the revelation can become more subtle and more pervasive, see? If it's unconscious revelation, it's it's crude. You know, you, you step in a ditch, you realize, okay, there's a ditch there. Try to step around it. That's crude revelation. But when you're more conscious and more uh, attentive, using concentration 
your understanding becomes deeper and more pervasive. If you stepped in the ditch unconsciously, that's a very localized, immediate incident. But it won't, it won't affect much. It, it affected that one step. But when your revelation is more conscious, with greater concentration, what you learn will affect so much more, depending on the depth of your concentration. See? Just like my friend Audrey. Um, my revelations, what she was revealing about the nature of the human spirit had a profound influence on me that has lasted me an entire lifetime as opposed to how many hundreds of thousands of events I've had with my buddies which has of no meaning <laughs> other than that moment. See? So they're all, you're, you're all learning something. You're, every moment something is being revealed but when your mind, when you're more awake and more concentrated it'll have more lasting meaning. See, so you want to have awakened revelation, not unconscious revelation, okay, like stepping in the ditch. <laughs> and that's what we're talking about, well, paying attention, you know, and or what Nick was talking about in the, the one of his gurujis is the forest or nature is, is, is one of the gurus. Um, but when you're in that forest, or when you're in nature, you're awake. Your senses are awake. You're alive. And that, that will ripple through your life far more than if you're just sort of unconsciously stumbling through the forest. You know? That's moment, moment, moment. But no lasting effect. So the, the, the key is, um, one, that life is a process of revelation. And then there's conscious revelation, and then there's unconscious revelation. See? And as, as human beings, we want to be as conscious as possible. We want to be paying attention. And when I say paying attention, I'm saying paying attention without anxiety. See? Without anxiety. Anxiety will blur your vision and make you neurotic. You'll be a nutcase. But you know, profound observation, profound concentration without anxiety. Do you know that that's exactly what you're practicing when you practice meditation? See? You're sitting, you're having profound concentration, but you're relaxed. See? If you're profoundly concentrated and you have anxiety, you will become a nutcase. See? <laughs> you're a headache to you and others. <laughs> so, you want that profound attention, a profound concentration, and realize that you're, you're living in the process of revelation, that things are opening up, opening up, expanding, see? You know, a depressive person is a person who feels that they're living in a box. They, they've closed themselves down to the possibility of the new, see? So you always want to have that sense of the possibility of the new, see? So if you're depressed, take a shower, wake up, pay attention, see? And then be aware of the possibility of the new. Meaning there's infinite vistas that, you, that are open to you. Take a road, 
take a road, take a step. See? The opposite is depression, where you stop taking a road, stop realizing the new, st stop recognizing revelation. See? Depressive person is locked in a box. That's not healthy. So think of life as a process of persistent revelation. See? Pay attention. That's what all the yogis are telling you. Pay attention. <laughs> see? And seek meaning. Any, any final thoughts, questions, curiosities? Anything from Sylvia Ma? Where is she? Huh? Listening? <laughs> I don't see you, but I'm, I'm very aware of you and very happy. Actually, I was thinking about you this morning. I'm very happy that you've come and you brought your beautiful boy. So, matter of fact, there's the whole family. The mother's mm -hmm. here, the son is here, the daughter is here, and now the, the young boy. See? They're, they're all <coughs> part of a yoga community. See, they're, they're all coming into the, the inner fold. So the ashrama is, 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 a, is a type of a family slash divine academy. That's what it is. It's, it's a type of family, a family based on dharma, meaning righteousness. And it's, it's an academy of learning how to train your, your facilities for the highest awareness. See? And that academy goes on, on, and on, and on, and on. And the, the only thing that you need to get into those academies is sincerity. You know, like, I'll take this boy, Stephen, you can say, show me a hundred scholarly brahmanas. I'll take this one before the hundred scholarly brahmanas. Why? Those guys are super smart. But this guy is super sincere. That's the guy I'm going with. You know? That's the guy. Because that's the guy who's going to make the most amount of progress. That's the guy who is going to be a blessing in the world. The other guys are just really smart. <laughs> See, they're really smart. But they're not necessarily going to make the biggest bang in terms of being a blessing in the world. See? It's, it's the sincerity that opens the doors. You know? If you want to meet saints, you want to meet masters, be deeply, deeply sincere. And then... Before God, I can tell you, everything is possible. Everything. Because they will peer into your heart, and they're looking for that, 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 that light of sincerity. Once that's there, everything is possible. Everything. You know, time doesn't make a difference. You know, once that seed is there, whether it takes 10 years, 5 years, 10 lives, 5 lives, we don't care. But without that seed, it's just like, let them be. It's like letting the kids play in the backyard. Just let, leave them alone. They're not ready yet. You know, let them dig some holes and throw mud. That's okay. But when, when they're sincere, that means it's time for them to take this journey, this, this Himalayan journey, you know, up into the higher vistas with a greater perspective. See? And it, all it takes is sincerity. That, that is what it takes. Not your brains, not your wealth, not your beauty, 
None of that counts. None of it. It's, it's the sincerity in your heart. That, that's what distinguishes you between fit and unfit. See? And that's why I say seeks meaning. You know, the more meaning you seek, the more sincere you'll become. It'll purify your heart. And then you're fit. You know, that's why they say that you won't have to chase the saints. The saints will chase you. <laughs> you won't have to seek heaven. Heaven will come to you. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because at that point, with that deep sincerity, you sort of send a flare up into the heavens. And all the sadhus and saints see it. They say, okay, okay, one more has become ripe. Let's go get him. <laughs> you know? Okay, any, any final thoughts, questions? <clears throat> Nothing from you, Craig? No? <laughs> okay, Susan Ma, the temple no. scribe. No, good, thank you. Yeah. So, apply questions to, the, to uh, um, when you have time privately to, uh, to Kitty here and, and to Susan here and to Fung, you know, you know, press Fung, make her talk. <laughs> because otherwise she'll be quiet. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's the thing. I'm telling you, inside baseball, you know, get next to these people. You know, with a kind heart and apply questions, apply questions, apply questions. You know, so take that that knowledge and experience. You know, these are all profoundly sincere people who are not calculating. They're not doing business with you. See, they're just like like generous ponds. Just go take a dip of the water of the well. Okay, we'll chant Om three times, and then. I think there's probably some food in the back that we'll bring forward. Any questions, Lily, before I close? Okay, thank you. I'm so happy to see you. So we'll take a deep breath in. Oh.